Are we on, Luke? Yeah, recording, yeah. Okay, great. Um, so, uh, let's give a thanks to Luke. We've got uh, a first sound engineer in today, for first time ever. Revival is broken out when we got a, when we got a sound engineer in the morning service. All right, so I'm going to carry on with uh, what I was talking about in respect to the Sabbath. Um, so I've covered a reasonable amount of teaching on this. So, um, so if you've got any questions or issues and think I'm saying something I'm not saying, then please uh, go on the uh, Storehouse 7 YouTube channel and uh, you can watch parts one and two there. Um, this will be part three. And my wife is going to do part four. Yeah, she's, she's good as well. She's really good. She's better than me. Um, so um, so we're looking forward to that. Okay, so I'm going to look at um, Genesis chapter 2 and verses 1 to 3. So Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. And it says, On the seventh day, God ended his work which he had made. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. Now it says God rested from his works. Okay, uh, The word there for rest in the Hebrew is Shabbat, okay? which is obviously where the word Sabbath comes from. And uh, so, as uh, I heard one preacher, preacher say it with a really bad like accent, he went, "So God did, so God shabbated on that day." Okay, that's how he talks, and everyone laughed, but we all kind of got what he was trying to say: is that God shabbated on that day. He um, he did rest, and it's on the seventh day. Now, with this particular uh, couple of verses here, there there is some real treasures and there's real gems. But I want to just preface it with something. I don't think this is so much a problem for this church, but I know that this is a problem in Christianity in general. It's this concept that the Old Testament, well, we don't read that or have anything to do with that anymore because that's, oh, well, that's all Old Testament. Okay, we're only interested in the new. Okay, the pro- there's a problem with that. And, and, and one of the theological concepts that come out of that is everything in the Old Testament is physical and everything in the New Testament is spiritual. Okay. Um, but actually, that, that it comes from, the root of that is a form of Gnosticism. And Gnosticism is heresy. And basically, Gnosticism is saying that everything of the flesh is bad, and everything of the spirit is good. So spirit's good, flesh and physical is bad. Old Testament's flesh and physical, bad. New Testament, good. Okay, so that's the thinking there. It's actually heresy. So, and I'll, I'll cover into all that a little bit more later. And another thing that came out in the early church was this guy. And he had his name, his name was Marcion. And Marcion didn't like the Old Testament, he didn't like the God of the Jews, but he loved the New Testament, he loved Jesus, okay? And so he basically, again, had this, he had to come up with some weird ideas that the God of the Old Testament is bad and it's now all done away with. God of the New Testament is good, yay, let's just stick with the New Testament. And there was one or two books in the New Testament he wasn't particularly happy with either, so he chucked them out of the canon, of his particular canon. So... That is also, it became known as Marcionism, which is another form of heresy which was outlawed in the early church, where we think that the Old Testament somehow it's finished, it's done away with, it's bad, it's ugly, let's not talk about it, and New Testament's all good. Yeah, it's, it's actually a form of heresy. Uh, but it, I find it endemic in today's evangelical Christianity. I meet a lot of Christians that go, well, you know, that's all Old Testament, as, as though that's some kind of dismissive claim. But the fact is, is that there's a third of Old Testament prophecy that still hasn't yet come to pass. 
For example, we looked at this scripture the other week, where in the book of Isaiah, it says in the new heaven and the new earth, okay, that's from the book of Revelation, and there it is in the book of Isaiah, uh, there will still be new moons, and there'll still be Sabbaths in, in the new uh, heaven and the new earth, okay? So if you're saying, well, all that Old Testament stuff, that's all fulfilled and all done away with, well, you've got a bit of a problem there, haven't you? Because quite clearly that's prophesying to something that hasn't even happened yet, and, and it won't happen until, until the very, very, very end of the age, okay? There are loads of prophecies. Don't think that it's all been fulfilled by Jesus when he, when he was born and died on the cross, because that's just simply not true. Not that this means anything, and it's not like to intimidate anybody, but I have spent 20 years researching Old Testament theology so that it can help me unlock the New Testament, and specifically studying Old Testament apocalyptic literature, you know, like the, all that end-timey type stuff, so that it would give me the keys so that I could understand the book of Revelation. Which gives me a great plug for my book. That, um, I've just um, finished book one of my, my commentary on the book of Revelation. It's three parts. Book one's the seven churches. Book two is the tribulation. Book three is the great tribulation. And book one is now out. I'll bring a stack of them to church in a couple of weeks so you can, you can buy them for a reduced price of a fiver. They cost eight pounds. Or if, if you're really into, uh, into, into me, you can buy a 12-pound hardback version. Yeah. Anyway, that aside. Um, so, man, he's always after something. So, so I want to make this clear. Why have I just prefaced this, this verse with all that stuff about Old Testament, New Testament? It's because sometimes we, we, we miss the wood for the trees. Sometimes we don't see things because we've kind of blinded ourselves to what the Scriptures are actually teaching us. So, for example, this whole thing here about God resting on the seventh day is important because this is long before the law was ever given. I, I appreciate that it's written in the law as a as a discourse of what went on at creation. But this is a this is this is something that God did in the beginning of creation. And again in modern day Christianity we super spiritualize our faith a little bit and it's like, well, you know, these things don't really matter to us because we're Christian. <laughs> now God the Father is spirit. Okay, everyone would agree on that. All theologians would agree that agree that God the Father is spirit. Okay, Jesus is God in human form. He is God the Son in human form. He has a body. Okay, and even though God doesn't change, somehow when He took on humanity, that's He didn't change His nature. But there's something that that is essentially now human in heaven, which is amazing. So Jesus sat on the throne. He is fully human and he's fully God. Now, why am I making this point? It's because sometimes as Christians, we can super-spiritualize Christianity, where it's all about the spirit, but it's not about the flesh. Now, God, who is spirit, did, or as my friend said, Shabbat, he, he did Sabbath, and he rested from his works. Now, when God, did the, when God made the earth, it wasn't like, whoa, boys, I finished a day early. We did it in six days. I'm just going to take the seventh off. Great, put my feet up, and we'll make it a national holiday for everyone so they too can put their feet up and have the day off. That was not how it was at all. If God is in detail. He's, he's always in the details. He's absolutely essentially always about the details. So all of creation was made exactly according to the divine plan. Now, even when you look in the law and you look at the priestly garments, for example, that Aaron had to wear and he went into the Holy of Holies, he had these little like things around the bottom, the hem of his garment, and it was, one of them was like um, a pomegranate. Okay? And I was at a conference the other day, this woman said, why, why do you think a pomegranate's down at the bottom? 
I said, well, according to uh, Jewish legend, it's because each pomegranate allegedly contains 613 seeds, which represents the 613 commandments of the law. And they were like, whoa, is God really that specific? And I'm like, yes, he really is that specific. I mean, if you want to know what specific looks like, check out some DNA. I mean, that's specific, right? And God is really specific. So when he, did, when he created the, the, the natural world and God rested on the seventh day, it's not because it was just like, well, we finished the day early. It's because it's essentially God revealing something of the kingdom of heaven and he is revealing something of his nature to humanity. Now, it says in Romans 1 that all of creation reveals visibly the invisible attributes of the invisible God. Okay, so that means the created world around us is revealing in physical form things about God that you wouldn't otherwise see. Okay, but we did see it in Jesus, but you know, but it's all around us all of time. And Paul says, therefore, man is without excuse. Okay, man can't say, oh, I never believed in God because I saw no evidence for it. It's like, well, look in the mirror, you moron. Okay, so so you could say, you know, <laughs> you know, although some of us could look in look in the mirror and we think, is there a God really? <laughs> All right. Oh, Trace is giving me the eyebrows. Calm down. Back off. Back off. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so, uh, I don't know what my point is now. Um, but anyway, I'm sure. <laughs> yes. So, so God made, made, the, made the universe and everything in it for a specific reason. And, and it's revealing things of the kingdom of heaven to us. And all of creation is revealing to us things about God. And this includes the seventh day. You see, God, when he created the universe, he built the principle of rest into the rhythm of creation itself. Okay? So even, even the Sabbath day, now again, I'm not telling it, I'll get into all this later. Don't you think that I'm saying you must observe Sabbath because if you don't, you know, it's like the Ten Commandments. Because we're in a different covenant. We're not in the Mosaic covenant where they had to observe it as a part of their covenant relationship with God. And it says if they broke it, they'd either be stoned to death or excommunicated. Okay? That's not for us. But the principle of Sabbath still remains. In, uh, and I taught on this last time I spoke on it. So I don't want to go down the whole law thing. But nevertheless, in the beginning of creation, God entwined into the natural created order of this world the principle of the Sabbath. Okay, This principle of rest. And one of the things that concerns me in our modern day is that everything on the earth should actually reflect the kingdom of God. Okay. Everything on this earth should be almost be like a shadow or a mirror image of what's going on in heaven. Because Jesus says, first the natural, then the spiritual. So this natural world should, re- not Jesus, Paul says, so that first the natural, then the spiritual. So this natural world should reflect something of the spiritual realm. Okay, And who more so should be reflecting things of God on the earth but God's own holy church? Amen. Now, we're living in a day, we're living in the end of days now. I'm sure some of you might not have cottoned on to that fact, but um, just thought I'd put it out there for you. We're moving fast now to the end of days, yeah? I, mean, so I don't know when the Antichrist is going to rise up, but I don't know, maybe next Tuesday. But anyway, it's, it's, it's coming, right? We are, we are fast approaching these days. But we need to kind of wake up a little bit in that as the church is moving to the end of days, I think the church really needs to reflect the things of the kingdom of God on the earth. You know, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we're praying those prayers. 
But often when we pray those prayers, we don't realize that actually the answer to those prayers is, oh, it's me, right? And it's you. We are the answer to those prayers. So we should be reflecting things of the kingdom of God. Now, we're living in a culture now that's so broken. You see, this world should be reflecting the things of heaven. But this earth is so broken and and Satan's schemes is to damage and break and unsink the earth from the things of heaven. So what can we do? I know, if I was the devil, I'd be like, what we need to do is we need to break down the whole principle of kingdom authority. Okay, let's, let's just let's kick this in a touch. Let's just like end this right now. Sorry, I shouldn't have said that, kick this in touch. But anyway, let's end that now. So what we're going to do is we're going to break down families. We're going to have absent fathers. We're going to have a great fatherless epidemic, which is the reason why we have so much crime today, apparently, uh, amongst across, across the Western world, because we've done away with fathers. We now are in a culture where f- the third wave of feminism is so strong now, it's basically saying men are a waste of space they couldn't they don't need to be on the earth and and i've uh, even read quotes where where these third wave feminists are saying you know why don't you do us all a favor and go kill a white man you know Uh, well it which is their politically correct way of saying you know oh white men just go away okay they don't literally mean kill them but that's the sort of nonsense they say so we got men that have been emasculated we got men where their authority has been taken away from them incidentally that scripture in the bible where it says i do not permit permit a woman to have authority over a man okay the actual this is what the greek actually says i do not permit a wife to have authority over a husband that's how that is literally what the greek says okay but it can also be translated as man or woman and that word there for um authority is used only once in the whole bible and it's referring to subduing manipulating and stealing someone else's authority and so we're living in a culture now where people are obsessed with putting men down and, 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 and all this kind of stuff. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm for, I'm for women's rights. I'm not like a, a male chauvinist pig or anything like that. But I'm trying to... Well, not too much, anyway. I'm just trying to show you that... <laughs> just being honest. I'm just trying to show you that in our culture, it's one of the things that, 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 that our culture is doing to decouple from the heavenly model. Okay? You know, we, whether you agree with it or not, this is what Paul says uh, in Corinthians. He says, The head of the Son is the Father... The head of the church is Christ. The head of the woman in the context of marriage is, is the husband. Okay, so that, and that's, that's how it's supposed to be. Uh, it's, it's godly authority. Now, that doesn't mean men get to just like boss their women around because where it says a woman should obey her husband, right? The word there for obey in the Greek is, well, let's have a conversation about this, shall we? Okay, whereas the words for obey where it says children obey your parents is, mm-mm. You must obey. There is no room for error here. Okay, so wives, see this as a as a as a ticket to yes, get in your husband's face and say, "Are you sure about that? Are you really sure about that?" Because I've got a better idea. Invariably, they have got a better idea. I remember one guy saying, "Why did God choose men to be in leadership, not women?" Obviously, I don't necessarily hold to that view, but and uh, I was like, "I don't know why. Why did God choose men to be in leadership and not women? Because God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise." Amen. I I did give a hearty amen to that. Hallelujah. Anyway, so we're seeing things in our world that is constantly trying to decouple from the heavenly pattern. Marriage is the heavenly pattern. Because Paul says, what is marriage? He says, but it is a sign and a shadow of Christ and his church. And so when we're having things like sexual relations outside of marriage, it is profane to God. Okay? 
Uh, it really is profane to God because it's breaking the image of what's going on in heaven. So now we, where marriage is on decline, we have the, the biggest divorce rates on record ever right now. We have families breaking down. We have all this stuff going on. We have people no longer bothering getting married anymore. And we are seeing this decoupling of the heavenly pattern on the earth fading fast. And as we're heading towards the end of days, you'll see it more and more. Because the Bible says of the Antichrist, he will change times and seasons. Why would he do that? Because we see a shadow of this by another guy called Antiochus Epiphanes, and he was around about I don't know, 200 BC. And he basically came in, and he, it was this, the whole Maccabean revolt, for those that know their history, came about through, through this. And so he basically stopped the Jews from observing Sabbath uh, and various other things and forced them to eat pork, okay? The point is, is that the Antichrist will do something similar and that he will stop Christians and Jews from being able to observe uh, things to do with God because he will change the signs and seasons because he wants to decouple the earth from the heavenly pattern. Why am I spending so much time laboring this point? Because I believe in these days, and we're more so in the end days now, is that the church needs to come back. She needs to get her groove back and she needs to start reflecting the things of the kingdom of heaven and coming into line with that instead of being culturally relevant and aligning to the things of the day and culture. And this is where I see the church going wrong. She's so obsessed with being uh, blended in with the culture that you can look at the church and the culture and go, well, where's the church in that? Because I can't see it because it's blended so well into the culture with environmentalism um, and, and the whole trans thing. You know, it's all there um, within the church. This all the woke stuff, you know, I'm sure you know what that means. But what I believe that God wants to do for the church is for her to come back to her true north, for the, you know, to get the compass point back on, on track again. And you see, I think modern day evangelical Christianity is more out of touch with the things in some areas. Other areas were good, but other areas were not. We're more out of touch with things that the early church was in touch with. You know, I've been doing a lot of teaching, for example, about prayer and praying the hours and how that links up with what's going on in the heavenly temple right now and how the churches that pray uh, at those certain times and praying set prayers, they're praying in unity, they're, they're praying in unity, sorry, and in unison, and it's following the heavenly pattern. A lot of evangelical churches do not do that. And I meet, I do, I do conferences where I talk about this stuff, and the amount of evangelical Christians who are like, I. Oh, I never, I'd never, I never heard of this stuff. I just had no idea. And they're, they're passionate. They're wanting to do things right. They want to they sync up to the heavenly pattern. They want to be a kingdom people that manifest the kingdom of God, not just spiritually, but practically. And so bringing this back to Sabbath again, this is one of the clear things that I think the church needs to be observing. You know, I know some of you here are old enough, okay, to know that back when you were a kid, I think this is a little bit extreme, but things like on a Sunday, they would tie up the swings, all right? You couldn't go, you, all the shops were shut, whether you liked it or not, you, you had to, you know, you had to have that day off. And I, I, this is why some of that older generation are still going, is because they were forced to observe the Sabbath, whether they liked it or not, okay? I, I said before, the statistics say that people who are Sabbatarian live 11 years longer than those who don't. The principle is there because it's bitten, written into creation. 
On the seventh day, God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. So God blessed it, and he sanctified it. Now, what if you can't have your Sabbath, because I I do it on the actual day, like it was just a Friday night to a Saturday. So what happens if you can't do it on that day because of the nature of your job or something, okay? Well, the law is quite cool on this because it says, hey, if you can't make the Passover one year, what you can do is you can observe it a month later. And so the principle is there is, if you can't do it at the actual set time, then observe the principle, but just do it at another time. So the principle is there. So if I, you know, so a lot of Christians might think Sunday is their Sabbath, which is fine. Others might say, well, like for me, Sunday is my Monday. Yeah. So it's like it's a busy day for me. So for, for me, my, my, I have my, my day off on, on a Friday. Yours might be a Thursday or a Wednesday, but God will still bless you because you're observing the principle. I mentioned before about Christian companies that shut on a Sunday. Okay, opposed to the other companies that stayed open 24, or seven days a week, sorry. And, and even though it's, well, you know, for the legalists, well, it should have been on a Friday, okay? But they observed the principle and by closing on a Sunday, and God blessed them. And those companies generally earn more money than those companies that open seven days a week, okay? Because they're operating in the principle. So don't get caught up in legalism with this, like I must do it on this day. But the point is, is that God has blessed the principle, like tithing. If you tithe, you get the blessing that goes with it. If you don't tithe, you don't get the blessing of it, all right? And so that's why, you know, me and my wife, we love to tithe, we love to give, because we, we want to operate in those kingdom principles that God has given us. And if we operate in something as simple as just having a proper day off, okay, and, that, and, and, I, and I need to explain this as well. God rested from his works, okay? What are those works? Well, it's creating, it's making stuff, it's changing our environment, okay? So God created the earth, etc. But what does it mean for us? Because some Christians get really super spiritual about it. I'm not doing anything. Uh, I'm not even going to go to like a, an outreach crusade or anything because that's like work. Well, what did Jesus do on the Sabbath? He did lots of things. I mean, it, it, you get the impression that maybe it was a little bit of a quieter day because everyone else was, you know, whatever they were doing. But Jesus still healed on the Sabbath. He still preached the gospel on the Sabbath. Yeah, still did all the spiritual things, but he rested from other things. And so there's plenty you can still do on the Sabbath that's within the remit of that's okay. But there are other things that you probably should just not do. Uh, and I've, I'm, I've really got to discipline myself on this. And this is, I'm making it public in front of you all. That, uh, you know, on my Sabbath, I'm just going to like chuck the phone away or something. You know, just not, have, not look at it or have access to it. Because, you know, you can so easily get pulled into an email or something like that. Just, just have one day. Is it really that hard? Well, it is actually, isn't it? It is really that hard. Because you live in a society that just won't let you. Okay? But look what the witness it is to the world when we go, we're Christians. Who cares if they think we're weird? It's about time they think we're weird. Because at the moment, they don't think anything of us because we're just like them. So it's like, be weird. It's like, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a day off for Jesus. And I tell you something now, they might think you're weird, but I know another thing that they'll think is that, man, I envy them. Because this, this society we live in now, the mental health and the weariness on people these days is shocking. Okay? We have more mental health in this day and age than ever that we know of. Okay? Because we are literally working people ragged. And we have a culture where it's like, okay, we work and then we can rest. But kingdom is you rest so you can work. You might think, what's the difference? It's one's God's way, the other one's man's way. Things of the flesh brings death. Things of the spirit brings life and peace. Amen. Hallelujah. 
And just one last thing I want to bring out here is it was on the seventh day. Now again, God doesn't just make stuff up random. Who did he make on the sixth day? Yeah, who should give it away? Man, okay? Man was made on the sixth day. That is why six is the number of man. Okay, little little tidbit for you. So, you know, for all those Iron Maiden fans, six, 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 the mark of the beast. Um, you know, no, okay. So um, anyway, one guy over there in the corner. For those at home, I apologize. All right, so anyway, the book of Revelation talks about the mark of the beast being 666. What does that mean? It's the unholy trinity. It's Satan, it's the Antichrist, and it's the miracle worker, which is supposed to be a poor representation of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's what the, that's what the part of the number means, part of the mystery behind it. Six is the number of man, but seven is the number of God, and seven is the number of perfection and completeness and wholeness and salvation. And so when God rested on the seventh day, he is trying to tell everybody, look at this spiritual principle that I'm trying to teach you here, that on this day you can celebrate with me and be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy and I am perfect and I bring salvation and I bring wholeness and I bring health and I bring healing. Hallelujah. Because the word salvation doesn't just mean I'm saved in the name of Jesus. It means a complete and absolute salvation of your mind, your body, your spirit and your soul hallelujah amen so the seventh day itself is revealing god's perfection god's wholeness and god's completeness and and god loves sevens and twelves doesn't he they're riddled in everything you know seven days a week 12 months of the year you have seven notes in a scale uh 12 uh, you know not like it go on and on there sevens and twelves are everywhere it's it's god's it's just like god's little code that he puts in everything and he's welcoming us in saying to the church, and I close this now with this, is that God wants us to come back to those ancient rhythms. This is not just a, this is not all this Old Testament. This is the very rhythm of creation itself. This is the very thing that God set in and instated into creation at the very beginning. So it's got nothing to do with the law. It's got nothing to do with anything. But this is God's holy pattern. And I believe as we come more and more into God's divine pattern, man, you will be blessed. But it is a sign in the end of times where we're saying to the world and we're saying to the devil, yeah, we're not playing your game anymore. We are going to mirror the kingdom of God down here on the earth. Amen.